Um, throughout history hasn't had a really good track record in terms of the way um, that we have generally um, uh, the bo bottom line is that the church has been quite uh, male dominated um, even the it, the way that the scripture has been uh, distorted in, in, in many ways um, in its translation has been very much uh, bent towards a male bias when in reality when the scripture was actually written um, it was actually it is actually uh, very egalitarian and we touched on that a number of months ago I talked about the role of women in the church and if you weren't here can I really encourage you to uh, go onto our website and have a listen to that that podcast I think it'll help you understand that um, I certainly, uh, my position on this is very clear that in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, um, God makes this wonderful statement to, uh, in the Garden of Eden uh, referring to Adam and Eve. He said, uh, he said, let them rule. And I see that very much that God's uh, purpose and plan for humanity from the beginning has been a shared and mutual uh, partnership together of, uh, of, of working together to, um, to advance the purpose and plan of God. And so I'm very egalitarian. My wife has told me that I have to be, and so I'm very submissive to that. Um, I think uh, what's really helpful in this little uh, exercise that we did on our table is we need to be reminded that, um, that actually God is not male or female, that God actually does not, this might come as a surprise to some of you, uh, but God has no gender. Um, but what the scripture does do in order for us to help us comprehend what God is like is uses language that we can identify with, that helps us get our head around who God is and not only does God use both male and um, define himself in male and female terms he also God throughout scripture is defined in terms that um, aren't human so there are times where God is referred to as being like a rock um, or God being like wind or being like like fire now we know that that's not what you know God isn't a you know a rock um, but what it does is it tries to create a picture or an image in our mind that we can identify with the sense that God is stable and secure and solid and, and trustworthy. And in this um, portion of scripture here in Isaiah 42, you get both a masculine and feminine um, descriptor of, of what God is like. For those of us who are alpha male, there's that kind of champion warrior kind of thing that we can really identify with. And, um, and the, the second verse there, for those of uh, women who've gone through the, the act of childbirth, there is a sense in which you will be able to identify with the intensity of, of, uh, of, of, of pain and also relief um, that God experiences at moments and times. And so throughout scripture, some really um, uh, interesting words or descriptors of the feminine nature that, that are used concerning God. So God is referred to as a seamstress um, or a mother hen or a mother bear, um, a nursing mother or, 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 a, or a midwife. And so um, 
you know, I think some of us may have to dismantle some of those thoughts that we have in our heads that restricts God to exclusively uh, having male traits. One of the most profound things, I think, is um, throughout Scripture, God reveals himself through his names. And throughout the early parts of the book of Genesis, God is primarily revealed through the, the, the name Elohim, a Hebrew word which, which means creator, that God is a creator God. But when you jump to Genesis um, 22, uh, Abraham has an encounter with God on, on Mount Moriah. And in that encounter, Abraham sees something of God that up until this point of time he hasn't seen, that he hasn't recognized. And in that encounter, he defines God or describes God as El Shaddai. And um, those of you who remember Amy Grant, is anybody that old? Yes, okay, all right. Sandy Patty. We could, uh, some of us could break out into song at that at the mention of that uh, that name. Um, the name El Shaddai um, literally means the many-breasted one. What? <laughs> and it was a female who said, no, not a bloke. <laughs> the many-breasted one. That is, that is, uh, that's what the that's what the name El Shaddai means, and what God is wanting to. That it's not that God is a, a female with breasts, but there is a sense in which God is. Oh, Abraham sees something of the character and nature of God, and his response is to say that God is a nurturer, that God is a provider. God, God is able to provide amply. There is something that there is the, that God is the the sustainer and the giver. Of life, He is the many, many-breasted one. And so God is multifaceted. God is not, not male nor f- female. He is, he is, I was going to say transgender. He's not, tra- <laughs> he's beyond, he transcends gender. <laughs> All right, we'll stop there. There is this multifacetedness about God, a diversity of of pictures that represent the wonderful, creative person that God is. And what we're going to do this morning, um, seeing that we had such a big week last week and many of you have to kind of head off to be with family today, we're going to keep our service relatively brief and we've asked, um, uh, it's actually four ladies this morning, just to briefly come and share something of who they are, what they do and um, perhaps the role of God in their, in their life. And we just want to honour and celebrate not only the diversity of God, but also the diversity um, of womanhood. And so, Esther, where are you? Esther's going to come first. Um, there's not many churches that you can come to where God can nearly be described as transgender. So thanks for that, Steve. <laughs> I won't, won't divulge on that one. Um, thanks, everyone. Thanks to Steve and Louise for having me up here. Um, my name's Esther, and um, I live with Lauren over there and Danielle over here and another girl called Hila. So I'm very lucky to, to have such excellent housemates. Um, I'm, a, I'm an architect, and um, I'm 
I've been doing the, the design of the co-working space out of the back, so it's rather, rather an honour and a privilege to be able to do something in this house um, through what I do for a living, which I absolutely adore. Um, but um, <clears throat> in terms of what I do uh, as an architect is that I've been trained to design from, from what I call first principles, so to take a step back and basically just to reassess um, through space, through materials, through, through light, through um, sustainability, etc. Um, just why we do things and I have to question and justify every step of the way to, to every sort of consultant and client that I speak to why I do something. And I think in, through that training, that's that sort of um, means that in everything that I do as well, I've had to ask and question myself why why I do this and why I do that. And, and it, it kind of affects your faith as well. So I've been on this sort of rollicking journey of faith, um, of, of, of sort of taking a step back and saying, well, actually, why do I believe this? Where did it come from? Um, and and I'm, I'm, I'm learning not to be scared to ask those questions about... Um, and, and, and not knowing the answers um, of, of where, where my faith actually comes from. Um, so in terms, of, in terms of the role of God in my life, it just means that in a beautiful way I'm finding God in the most unlikely of circumstances, um, in the most unlikely of people, in, in things that are outside of church as well as things that are in church, in, in terms of people that... Um, don't believe in God, especially people that don't believe in God. I find a lot of grace um, through them. Um, yeah, so it's it's been a really interesting journey for me personally. So in terms of the role the role of God in my life, um, it's it's learning to uncover um, where grace lies, how grace can be further demonstrated in what I do, as well as um, bringing it out through other people as well. Um, but coming back to architecture, it's like um, how God can be um, present in design. So um, even though this co-working space might just come across as, as a space that's, um, that a whole bunch of people can come to work together um, where they might not have an office, in actual fact, it's, it's, like a, it, it's the creation and the curation of a brand new um, community hub where people can can share each other's work life and then share each other's stories whether that bleeds on it at night and on the weekends and you get to 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 meet people that you wouldn't ordinarily meet and collaborate with people you wouldn't ordinarily collaborate with um that's that's an absolutely amazing thing and it kind of it kind of blurs blurs the line of work and life outside of work um and and it's there's lots of articles written about it um, throughout the world. It's like a new movement that's happening in terms of co-working. Um, but as, as an architect, how can how can I facilitate that? Um, how can I facilitate you know everything from um, as a movement about collaborative consumption? So like when you when you share when you share certain things, not just space, but um, when you share cars or, or or when you share I don't know your tools in the garden shed, um, things like that, and then. Further than that, perhaps collaborative consumption in terms of um, housing. So maybe maybe there's new housing models in terms of um, couples and families that actually live together under the one roof. So you might have two completely different families under the one roof. Um, so yeah, in terms of the role of God in my life, it's um, basically just um, finding finding how 
how the work of God is, can be in all things, um, especially in the work that I do and the people that I work with and how to highlight and celebrate it. I love that uh, t- term, create and curate. It's beautiful. There's um, three principles of design that I, I learned this in theology, actually, not in architecture, but um, three facets of uh, architecture that architects tend to keep in mind. Um, uh, one is uh, f- the foundations, the strength and stability. Um, the second is, um, is functionality. How can the space be functional, not only secure, stable and secure but how can it operate well and third thing is aesthetics or or beauty and it's a great framework for thinking about the community of God Um, how how do we express um, those how how do we establish foundations in our lives how do we become functional and how do our lives express the beauty of God it's a wonderful field thank you for that that was lovely Esther Louisa Good morning, everybody. Um, I, when Steve asked me to do this, I'm like, me? Feminine, womanhood? Okay. Um, but, you know, I'm a woman, so I guess I am. My full name is Louisa Ann Meredith, and that comes from my great-great-great-grandmother, who was the founder of the RSPCA in Tasmania. So that means I'm Tasmanian. <laughs> um, and... We moved to Melbourne, we always have an argument about this, I think it's seven years ago. Um, Yeah, see, (laughs) somewhere between five and six years ago and seven years ago, I don't know. (laughs) And I feel like in my relationship with God, I have several hats that I wear. So I'm a mum to Tilly and Jay and Ellie, and without... Um, a faith, I don't know how I would be a mother because uh, as a mum I find I'm continually second-guessing the decisions that I make as a mum and hoping really that I'm not stuffing them up too badly and they don't have to have too much therapy when I'm done. Um, And without being able to give stuff over and be able to say, all right, God, I don't know what to do here, this is yours, and work through that in a process, I don't think I would be a very good mum Um, and being a mum has so much busyness in it so I've written some words that um, when I was thinking about this that when you're a mother you're a taxi driver you're a lunch maker you're a dinner provider you're a nutritionist you're a psychologist you're a referee you're sometimes a mad woman pulling out your hair and having to have a odd glass of wine to make it all right you're a counsellor you're an advocate and you're sometimes an annoying bossy pain in the neck according to my kids So for me, the business of just being a mother sometimes means that God has a very little space in my life. And I remember when my kids were very, very little and Ellie, who's now nearly 14, she didn't sleep for any more than 20 minutes for the first two years of her life. And I remember thinking that I wasn't doing anything except being a milk provider pretty much. And I was so tired and somebody said to me, you know, God really honours mothers And he carries them along. And that has stuck with me ever since. That I'm doing the very best that I can and that God carries me. And that's just, that's so nice to know when you're in the midst of crazy life. The other hat I wear is that I'm a wife to my lovely man over there, Matt. (laughs) And again, without having God in my life, I don't think I'd be a very good wife. Um, 
I can be naggy and I can be opinionated. Um, but we have a real connection because we have the same core values. You know, uh, so many of my friends who are married, they don't have a foundation on which they are the same. Um, and I think that that's been a strength. And even when it's not been easy, we've been married for 15 years and isn't, we haven't always had it easy and it hasn't always been fabulous, but we've had that core to come back with too, which I think is awesome. Um, and the other hat that I wear is that I'm a support worker at St Kilda Gatehouse, which I know as a community we've heard lots about. Um, right now I'm working with young women who are either at risk of or who are really in early stages of being involved in sex work. And to be honest, sometimes that job is really hard. Just this week I've had a young person try to commit suicide and um, another young person, I don't know if you saw it on the news, but... Her face was all over the news. It was on the news, it was in the paper, it was on uh, talkback radio about three A on 3AW. Um, and it's been a really tricky week for that community and also for me as a support worker to even know how to support these young women to try and build a better life. And again, I don't know how you be a youth worker without having a faith, without being able to stand in a room not knowing what it is that you can do but just go okay god this situation is yours and have a have a even in the awfulness and even in the the not knowing what to do you know that god's in control and that he's got a plan and a purpose um i don't think i'd be able to do it without that um so my core values really resonate with the, this church we went to very a lot of churches before we came here two of them closed just after we got there so I don't know if that was our fault <laughs> but maybe um but this was the first one where we felt at home and the reason we felt at home is because my core values are around what well, our core values as a family around unconditionally loving and being who you are in authenticity and I really feel that's the community that we that Fitzroy North is and I really love spending time with the poor and with those that are less fortunate, because I think they are really authentic. They haven't got time or the, the capacity to be anything other than that. In fact, I'd much rather hang out with people that are poor than people that are really rich, which is <laughs> just the way I'm made up, I guess. Um, and the only other thing I wanted to say is that as a woman, um, I find that my relationship with God sometimes has a really male, fatherly aspect to it, but that it's really nice to realise that he's not, well, that God is not one way or the other and that he loves us all the same. Hi, I'm another Louise. Seems to be a pattern here. <laughs> um, yeah, I've been to a church where there's been so many Louises before. Um, and I'm, uh, I've been here, I've been attending this church for, I think, over two years now um, with my husband, Patrick, and um, the mother of two little dogs. <laughs> um, and I first became a, uh, made a commitment to Christ when I was 11, so I'm now 60, so I've had, you know, over 50 years of walking with the Lord. And the the line that we sang this morning in one of the songs was, um, your, your steadfast love never ends and never fails. And that's been very true for my life. I haven't always been 
true to God, but God has always been there f- for me and when I need him, even though sometimes I didn't know it was there. Uh, it's been a long walk, but um, and we haven't got time to go into all that. But I guess, um, you know, life doesn't always work out the way you plan it. And when Pat and I were getting married, you know, we expect to have children and it didn't happen. And we tried for 12 years to have kids and it didn't happen. But in the end, we had foster children, had a lot of foster children, and we had um, students from overseas come and live with us, and I've been teaching for 40 years, so I've probably taught thousands of kids and been a bit of a mum to them too, I guess. Um, Yeah, so I'm a primary school teacher and I love the job, but I'm actually looking towards retirement, which is another phase in my life, which I'm a bit bit scared of, because I love my job. And love the kids. Um, But, yeah, God has worked in different ways with us, you know, that we we didn't expect. And even just um, yesterday I got an email from one of our lovely students that live with us, and I call her my special daughter, and she lives in Columbia, and it's her birthday today. So I said, I'll be thinking of you, and you can think of me. So, you know, we have a lot of beautiful kids in our life. Um, But more recently, I just wanted to share a couple of things that God has shown his presence with me very much. I mean, sometimes you sort of just drift through life and you think, yeah, God's there. Yeah, sure, you know, he's he's a great friend and all that. But then sometimes God can just go, wow, you know, he's really working hard on me, (laughs) working overtime. And as you can probably see, I'm limping and most of you know I went into hospital for an operation about three weeks ago to get a hip replacement and um, I've had the other one done as well so I sort of knew what to have what to expect but this was a little different and um, apparently through the operation I think I must have lost a bit of blood so when when I came out of the operation I was okay and I went into the ward and everything was fine but my blood pressure was really low and um, the next day it was still low and the nurse wasn't too concerned or the doctors but then the physio came in and got me to do a bit of work and it actually I think accelerated what happened and all of a sudden the blood my blood pressure dropped it's normally 120 or 130 Um, it dropped to 59 and um, so they suddenly um, pumped some blood into me and a whole lot of other things. And um, I thought, oh, this is a bit strange, especially when the three doctors and five nurses and I had about ten people in the room, you know, or something's going on here. And so they were, um, they were putting all this blood into me and then they said, oh, we're going to send you to ICU, to intensive care. And I wasn't really that worried, but then they rang Pat and then... Pat spoke to me and we both sort of started gulping a bit and um, a bit teary. And then when I hung up, I then couldn't breathe. I was choking. I was going, (gasps) couldn't breathe. So then that was when I was a little bit worried. (laughs) And um, so they put the oxygen mask and ventil and all kinds of things on me and slid me onto the the trolley and wheeled me off. But the thing was... um, as we were going from that building to the other building, there's a walkway or a covered walkway and it's got a glass dome. And it was a bit of a cloudy day and, and as we were going through this walkway, which was only a matter of a few seconds, um, we were wheeling, I was, you know, 
as you are, you're sort of looking up. And all of a sudden, the clouds parted, and it was like a spotlight. The sun just went boom right into my eyes at, in that moment. And I said, God's with me. I'm going to be all right, you know. And, and I just had total peace. And, and he took, they took me into the intensive care, and I was all right, you know. I, I was there for 24 hours and looked after really well by the staff and everything and then at 24 hours I was back in the ward but just that total sense of peace and God was with me um, is just you know infathomable and and you can be assured that that's you know that God is with us all the time even when you you might get this sort of you know bright spark of light on your face but you know God that was a tangible thing but I knew God was there with me and he was at peace and one more thing I need to share with you which has just happened this week which Steve and Louise know about is um, my sister older sister who we'll spend lunch with today she's um, been battling with um, myeloma cancer for three years um, which is a cancer of the bone marrow and she's had several bouts of treatment and she went into remission once and she went, <clears throat> she came back and they had spots and she had radiation uh, early this, this year. But she's, she's Christian and she's always had a tremendous faith and very positive and she said, you know, we're going to get through this. And I know Helen's been praying um, with the prayer group. and um, So anyway, she, she was feeling not too bad, but she had a lot of pain and she went in for her test on Wednesday and it was a PET scan where they have to, I won't go into it, but they scan your body to see if um, there's any cancer. And then that afternoon she went to see the doctor and um, we went in with her and we'd prayed with her earlier. And the doctor said, well, he said, "Um, I don't think you need your medicine anymore. You can throw it away. You've got no cancer in your body. And she goes, what? And, um, yeah, he said, you don't need the medicine. There's no sign of cancer. The tumour's gone. And she said, but what about the pain I've been getting? And he said, well, that's scar tissue from where the tumours were, and they're gone. So that's a great thing. We're going to celebrate today. We're going to pop the champagne and praise God. Well, hello. I am the church grandma, and I think I'm the only one. And if Jackson's worth $3 million, I need a bodyguard, because I'm worth a fortune. (laughs) Um, So being the only grandma, now, if any of you have got grannies who'd like to come, I'd love them to come and join us and keep me company. But it's a very nice thing to be a grandma. But let me take you back a bit. Bill's 70, and sadly, I'm not far behind. I can't believe that. Um, And Bill and I have been married for 46 years, and we have three children and seven grandchildren. And like Louisa, without the Lord, it's very hard to bring up children, and they can be very trying. But they can also be very rewarding, greatly rewarding. I was privileged to be born into a Christian family, and we were taught very early to um, hand things over to the, to the Lord. My mother called prayer meetings every time something went wrong and we all gathered together and prayed. So I follow on and we do that. And when Bill and I have problems, we do pray and we always have. And God answers. And we have had amazing answers to prayer. 
We've had children with life-threatening situations and they are well. We have wonderful grandchildren um, and pretty much they are well. Um, we have a few challenges with their health. But generally speaking, the time has gone very quickly. It seems hardly any time that they were only little and then James was looking me straight in the eye and giving me cheek and then I would have had to stand on a chair to be at his level. And now his three-year-old's giving me cheek. So <laughs> things come round and round. And she rings, they ring me up and they're absolutely gorgeous. As you can hear at the moment, they also give you head colds. Um, but God has been with us and God has been so gracious to us. Now, my little role in the church is to pray for people, and if you put a note in the pink box, we will pray for your intention and whatever um, problem you have. And we have had wonderful answers from the prayers that um, we say, and that's only a pleasure. And as you get older, um, that seems to be the role that God has passed on to us. We don't feel any older, we just look older and you suddenly find things that you think you should be able to do because you could do them when you were 21, you can't do them anymore. Like when I locked myself out of the house, I couldn't climb over the side fence. <laughs> Which was very sad. So, um, motherhood, as I say, has been very re rewarding. Grandmotherhood is also very re rewarding. But you really have to learn, and it is something sometimes that you have to learn, that you have to trust God. And we are now at the stage where, okay, something has gone wrong, we better pray. It wasn't always like that. We've had to learn through our experience that, yes, you can sail off there and do it on your own, but it's not going to work. Um, if you hand it over to the Lord, yes, that's when things start to come right. And... So um, that's, I think, all I can recommend to you is learn those lessons. My mother used to take us out to see the autumn. She would take us out to see the spring, and she always told us that they were God's gifts. So, you know, from, we went to see the sunset, and so we valued all of those things. But they weren't free. They came from God. From went real little. I don't know if I'm emotional about that, but <laughs> that's what it is. So, can I recommend as Mama and Grandma and Queen Mother of the Church to trust the Lord in everything you do, and He will be your guard. Wonderful. Thanks, Helen. That's fabulous. You know, um, it, it's really great to have the different generations and, you know, those that are, you know, are, are single and those that are married and never had kids and, you know, those that, that have and do have children and grandchildren that, you know, we're all different. And I know growing up, you know, my first kind of image that I thought of what a real woman was, was something like watching the old black and white movies, you know, and where all the women swooned and they needed smelling salts, you know, they were like, you know, didn't matter, you know, if there was some, you know, something terrible had happened, they just swooned, I'm going, I remember as a kid, you know, I can remember sort of five or six going, 
you know, that's pathetic. You know, I just didn't like that image of what a woman was. I had a natural, that ain't me, you know, and I just thought they were fools and they were idiots and there was no way I was going to be like that. And, you know, and as life goes along, you realise there's a whole bunch of different pictures that you see of of what women are. Um, I was a ballet dancer, not that you would know now, um, but I actually did ballet and tap and jazz from the age of five and I... I can still remember the day when the ballet teacher came up to my mother and said, I really think Louise should perhaps try a different dance style. She's not built for ballet. In other words, she's short and fat. And if you want to be a ballet dancer, you've got to be tall and thin. And suddenly realising, you know, I don't fit the, you know, the typical, uh, anyone else relate to this who's ever done ballet that have been told that your body shape is not quite the right one uh, for, uh, yes, thank you, Nathaniel. That too. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, the, you know, that whole thing, you know, like, um, uh, you know, the Barbie doll image, you know, you know, I was of the generation that grew up with the Barbie doll. And, you know, that, that Barbie doll has the perfect hourglass figure. And I realised at a very young age that I did not have that Barbie doll figure, mainly because the ballet teachers told me. But also I had a sister who had the Barbie doll figure and I would do the comparison thing and I would try desperately to fit her clothes. They never worked. And, uh, you know, um, then I had, um, you know, you would grow up with this thing that if, you, if you're a real woman, then you, you're really maternal and you want to have children and you have that sort of real natural instinct and desire and you, you love kids and I'm going, yeah, nah, that's not me. It, you, you know, if you knew me when first Steve and I first married, um, you know, look, yes, we were always going to have children, but it wasn't this sort of yearning urge within me to be a mother. It just wasn't there. Um, I just felt like I'd, that just didn't get dealt to me, you know, in the, in the queue of womanhood, I didn't get that, that you know, that hormone. Um, and so, you know, you sort of think, well, oh, okay, I don't fit that model. Um, the other thing was the, the, the glamour, you know, um, showing age again, but the 80s, the, what was it, Dallas, you know, the big shoulder pads and the big hair and the makeup and the, you know, whatever. And I just, you know, like, I think I, I really, and I'm, I'm sure I'm not lying, but I don't think I blow dried my hair, and I'm meaning into a style, until I was 21. I just couldn't see the point. I was like, Oh, there's too many other things to do. I couldn't be bothered standing there fluffing my hair. I mean, I lived in North Queensland and it was too hot and humid anyway. Why would you want to put a blow dryer on you when you lived in that heat? You know, like why, like I couldn't wear makeup, you know, because it was so sweaty. You'd put it on and you felt like it was dripping, you know, off you. And so I didn't have any of this. So, I, you know, I look at that sort of picture and go, hmm, don't fit that model either, you know. Um, don't like wearing dresses, like trousers, you know. And... As I went, you know, sort of sat and thought about this, there were so many different pictures of what a woman should be or what a woman can be that, that is out there. And I realised I actually don't really fit in any one. And the amazing thing is that a woman is a person and you can be whatever you want to be and you can look however you want to look and you can wear whatever you want to wear and you can do whatever you want to do. There is no box. There is no have to look this way, have to act that way, have to do this thing. That doesn't exist and I'm really grateful for that. I'm really grateful that I have come along the journey and realised that I can just be me 
and that today I did wear my really high heels. I have to select the days when I wear the really high heels, when I know that I have lots of time where I can actually sit down because it hurts after a while and I can't put up with them for very long. But I do like to occasionally wear really high heels. But generally, nah, I kind of like being comfortable. You know what I mean? And it's actually, I'm free to be me. And, you know, I've not really coped well with the really fluffy, feminine, flowery, you know, that's just not who I am. But you know what? In no way should we ever demean that or say that that's wrong, that you can't be like that and be a woman. And in no way should we ever say someone who is at the other end of the spectrum, and I don't know a, you know, you know what I mean by a, a, a butch woman, but I don't mean that in a derogatory way, but you know what I mean, that sort of sense where they, they, they do like to be at the other end, that's okay as well. And I think what Steve brought out earlier on about God is that there are so many different aspects to the nature and character of God and who he is and so too with women but also so too with men you know there is no one mold that any of us fit into there's no one way that we have to be there's you know if you're if you're a real male you don't have to be an alpha male you know we can be who we are, what our gifts, what our talents, what our passions, what our loves. You know, we can do whatever is in our hearts to do. God has not come to restrict us and to limit us and to narrow us down and to make us fit this one mould because we're all different. And I think that's really well portrayed this morning as everyone sort of shared that we are all different. And uh, I just want to leave you with that just sort of sense of encouragement that it's okay to be you. And for women, that means it's okay for you to look or be or do whatever way you want, whatever's on your heart. You don't have to fit a mould. And I want to encourage you to be free to be you. So I thank you for coming for our service. Will we stand and you're going to close up? Great. Michelle, I could just get the guys to stand if we could, just the, the blokes. Um, the... Uh, Proverbs 31, which is that typical, you can't go through Mother's Day in church and not mention Proverbs 31. But uh, there's a scripture that says that um, the husband of the house and the children, they rise and they call um, the woman of the house blessed. And as guys, we want to bless the ladies of our community and recognize your diversity and honor and celebrate your diversity of womanhood and femininity wherever that sits on the spectrum. Uh, we appreciate you for who you are. And guys, can we give our ladies a big round of applause? Can we do that? Beautiful. We do appreciate you. Let's all stand. Uh, we'll finish with the benediction. And then, uh, guys, we're going to serve the ladies' morning tea this morning. So you can, ladies can then sit down and, uh, guys, uh, if we can have some blokes hang around to do the washing up, and that would be appreciated as well. Let's share the benediction. God, we thank you for receiving our worship, hearing our prayers, feeding us with your word, and encouraging us in our fellowship. As we leave this place, take us and use us to love and serve you and all people in the power of your spirit, and in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.